Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the Filibuster Freestyle. It's your buddy Gavin. I've got a mega cast in store for you tonight. We're going to hit on two topics. Number one, for you Patriots fans out there, and maybe a little bit of you Falcons fans, we're talking AFC Championship, NFC Championship, Patriots, post-game hot takes, and a little bit of Super Bowl 51 preview. After that, because this weekend, after the inauguration, there was what I'm calling the Million Lady March in Washington, D.C., and I mean that with all due respect, uh, I'm going to talk to two people, uh, one, pundit Jeremy Johnson, and two, uh, wife of pundit Doug Brown, Bridget Hanahan Brown, uh, because Jeremy went to the L.A. version of the, the Women's March, and Bridget went to the, the version in Boston. So two, two things in the news, one sports-related, one not at all sports-related, and what I'm going to do is have all the football stuff first, because I know some of you are 100% in on football and 0% on the march, or maybe vice versa, which is both totally fair, kind of a weird hodgepodge of a mega cast, but uh, that's why we're going to do it sequentially. So let's get going. Filibuster Freestyle, check us out, filibusterfreestyle.com. You can follow us at FB underscore freestyle or follow me at Gavin Viano on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, Instagram, all over the place. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, up next, it's my cousin Doug Brown. He was on the scene in Boston with my brother Alex, apparently, and his wife, Bridget. Doug Brown, how you been, man? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm great. Patriots won. You were at Tavern in the Square in Austin. How was the scene in Austin? It was amazing. <laughs> uh, needless to say, a great mix of every color, creed person you'd expect to be a Patriots fan, or at least just a guy who bought a Tom Brady jersey, but it was <laughs> awesome. Nice. So you guys, you guys were at Tavern in the Square. Was it super crowded? We were able to get a little corner bar area. Yeah, pretty crowded. Lots of people doing Facebook Live. A lot of people taking selfies. So all I do is win by T-Pain. <laughs> that That's absolutely right. And you said there was a, there may have been an incident with some vomiting. Is that something that was happening? Well, like I was saying, about all the colors and creeds of America, I saw three um, men, which I don't want to make overly, uh, I don't want to make assumptions, but Indian, Bangladeshi, Nepali. So South, South Asia, sure. South Asia. But some guy who was partying too hard in a Brady jersey who was hugging toilet seats. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says Sunday evening like hugging a toilet seat in a bar. Yeah. Good times. Anyway. My guess is, my guess is he's calling in. We got a lot of MVP chance going. I'm sure you did. He, the guy's probably calling in, his, calling in sick to work tomorrow, by the way. Um, all right. Let me ask you this. I'm going to actually have fun with this because sequentially you're going second after my brother, the aviator, who, by the way, did not disappoint tonight. He was swearing his face off, as usual. Um, I can only imagine, I can only imagine if they had lost how much more swearing he would have done. But anyway, um, that being said, how confident were you the Pats would win today before the game started? So, for a couple reasons, I was actually slightly – I was not that confident. Because, one, we are going to go watch the game in Austin – with your brother, which is where we went last year, where they were playing the Broncos. And they lost. And we lost. Two, I was wearing my Tom Brady jersey for the first time in a while, which, again, they lost against the Broncos. Yep. So I was actually preparing myself for the worst because well, I love watching games with your brother when things go bad. Oh, man. He is 
Tough with yours. He gave me a rough deal at the time, so I was, hope, I was expecting the worst, but even though I'd say when it was like 17-6, I was still a little worried. Yep. And yep. then we took away with it. Yep. I got like shut down, Antonio Brown, although I was expecting Antonio Brown to just all of a sudden get like two 90-yard 90-yard touchdowns, but... Yeah, see, I was worried about either the Pats self-destructing like last week, which I thought, because it happened last week and they, they overcame it, obviously, I thought it was unlikely, and it was, but I was worried about either Bell or Brown just doing something that, you know, you can't you can't plan for. And I think yeah. the, the plan worked out great because the Pats did two things really well. One, they decided to just take Brown out of the game by, you know, always doubling him, and then... They, were, they did pretty well on Brown at the outset, and then Brown wound up getting himself injured, which, you know, you don't wish that on anybody. But obviously, with if they're a two-headed, three-headed monster and you're double-covering one guy and the other guy can't play, now all of a sudden it's Ben Roethlisberger throwing regular dudes, and that's a little bit more palatable. So that worked out well. Um, all right, let me, let me ask you this, though. Um, Aviator, my brother mentioned how that he was, he was 100%, 100% confident. Uh, before the game, and that even though it was 17 to 9 at halftime, he was still not 100% confident, but like 90% confident, basically. Was he that way, or was he just blowing smoke after the game to me? No, he's going pretty strong, to be honest. Okay. He was, he, he was, and when I say going pretty strong, I mean he was relatively quiet and not saying negative shit. So okay. That so, means, that so, means going well. so there you go. Not too bad. So I was at a bar. Um, actually, you know, it's funny. You talk about. Um, Revisiting old problems, right? And I'm going to tell this story because what the heck? It's been a year, okay? So I went to my friend Kara's house. Kara is from Worcester, Mass. She's actually friends with Jeremy Johnson from high school. Jeremy's going to come on next after you guys. Uh, But anyway, I watched the game at her house last year, and we went to this bar called Draft down the street from her house last year. Now, last year, the Panthers of Carolina – were hosting the NFC Championship after the Patriots-Broncos game. So at halftime, we all went over. We were watching the game in her house. But at halftime, we rolled over to draft. And I wound up getting into a little bit of a, like, I got basically sucker punched by some hillbilly because I wouldn't let him cut me in line. And I basically said to Kara, so let me get this straight. You want me to come over to your house where we watched them lose last year, and then watched the rest of the game at draft, where I got jumped by a hillbilly for no reason. And she's like, yeah, man, you got to break the curse, basically. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm in. And I brought my new Belichick uh, and the boys in a boat crossing the Charles cartoon shirt my mom got me for Christmas. It is now 2-0, and I'll be wearing it with you, Bridget, and Cindy Harrington, fellow pundits, in Miami, Florida for the Super Bowl in two weeks. Boom. And, and potentially your brother and Helen. We were, trying, we were trying to talk him into it tonight, so we'll see what happens. So we might have the six of us doing a Facebook Live filibuster freestyle from Miami to watch the Pats at Super Bowl 51. Baby, baby. All right, that's beautiful. All right, let's keep it. Well, Bridget specifically said that for the Super Bowl, she wants me to either get her a Wilford jersey, but I've just decided that she maybe she just wear overalls, and that's just as good as a Wilford jersey. I'll tell you what, in Miami, the overalls only will totally fly. They will totally fly. Um, all right, let me ask you this question. Um, Gronk and John Bon Jovi were next to each other in Robert Kraft's box. You may have noticed that. Uh, I did see JBJ up there. It was next to Gronk, and I believe maybe Donnie Wahlberg. Who do you think has the best stories about like weird stuff with like groupies or whatever between those three guys? 
I think he has been married the whole time. So it's like probably not him, right? So Gronk probably spends a lot of time in Foxborough with, I mean, you probably have just as crazy stories being around Walpole, so. Right. Just saying. So you're going Donnie Walpole. I have to believe that it's Donnie Walpole who's just like, hey, I live in Los Angeles. Literally, owning a burger shop in Los Angeles can take a crazy tale, so I assume it's Donnie. Nice. Okay. Well said. And he essentially, and he essentially was Johnny Drama. So I mean, I think we already know what took place. <laughs> uh, okay. Fair. And the new kids have totally sold out Fenway Park for the summer of seventeen, which means they still got it uh, in a retro way. All right. L- last couple questions for you, Doug. What scares you the most, if anything, about the Falcons of Atlanta? Uh, I'd say just the general belief that the Pats are going to smoke them. I mean, so I heard earlier this week on the radio that they were saying, regardless of who they play in the Super Bowl, Vegas is already putting, if the Patriots are there, a seven and a half Oof. point line. Wow. And that was, in, and I've heard multiple things, heard it, whether that's because, you know, apparently Vegas is just trying to make back money because of the sole facts that they apparently got smoked the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but um, yeah, the fact that someone's already giving them seven and a half points in the Super Bowl kind of uh, makes me think. Again, you never you never want to be too confident. Correct. When Las Vegas is trying to trying to uh, put that forward of confidence forward, you know, it's a little scary. Correct. Now I heard I heard that it opened up at three minus three Patriots, but I think you're right. It's going to jump very quickly because the money's going to come pouring in on that. But um, no, other than that, I think I mean just. You know, Julio Jones is just a scary, scary-ass guy. Yep. And even if you double him... I mean, tonight you saw everything he did. I mean, like, I didn't get to watch the whole game because part of it, I was on my way to watch the um, pass game, but he looked like a magician earlier. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they were, they had it all going tonight, and they have, like, four receivers who are good, and they have two running backs who are good, they have a quarterback who is good, and they've got an offensive line that's pretty solid. So, like, to your point... Pats are going to need to score some points, like 30 yeah. points, 30 points easy, I think. Right. And that might not even be enough. So that, that, yeah, it's going to be a shootout, which will make it fun. Yeah, it should make it fun. And it's like a nine-hour game, which is always fun too. Do we? Is Gaga, is Lady Gaga the, the performer or was that last year? I can't even remember. You know, Lady Gaga's, Lady Gaga's this year, I've heard that she was specifically sat down and asked to not bring up political views, which is a pretty hilarious thing. I don't know who from the NFL – NFL had to sit down with her, but that was a, that was a headline. What's a, what's a more – I wanted to make political comments. Okay, what's a more awkward scenario? Uh, Roger Goodell sitting down with Lady Gaga to not say political things before the Super Bowl and then her doing it, or Roger Goodell having to give Tom Brady the Super Bowl trophy? But I'll tell you what. And I, is, she, is, she wearing, is she wearing a meat dress? <laughs> <laughs> if the dress is made of meat, you must acquit. Right. Okay. Uh, you got anything else? I you, you an answer. I'm sorry. No, you're good to go. It was a surprise question. I didn't even know I was going to ask it. Uh, do you have any hot takes either regarding the games we just watched today or going into the Super Bowl aside from how much fun we're going to have in Miami? Pounded, pounded, pounded. Belichick, Bel- Bel- Belichick is 
besides, you know what? People say that it's me and Tom Brady. It's actually me and myself. So he's going to be... I don't actually believe that's going to happen. You can put it on the books in case it does. I tell you what, if it happens, we're going to put the money on that. You're going to be a rich man, sir. All right, Doug, well, listen, stick with... I will say, that was the best part of the entire night, I will say. That's when everyone blew up. Was when when Blanc went in the end zone? Blanc went in, no, even before that, where literally he got held up by like three dudes, and it was like five dudes, and it was like seven dudes, and all of a sudden he just kept powering forward against his whole team. Perfect. Yeah, that's poetic justice, as uh, Kendrick Lamar would say. Um, all right, man. Well, listen, stick around for a minute. We'll catch up. I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, really interested to see how a mashup of Patriots recap plus Women's March recap and one podcast goes. Pretty excited for that. <laughs> so, uh, for you, just wondering about the Super Bowl. What's what's, what's do that? Think, do you think do you think Donald Trump shows up? to give his support for Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady? Or do you think he doesn't want to politicize it? He just decides, you know what, I'm going to let Tom Brady do it. Well, I'll tell you what. It's great. That's, actually, that's a great question. And I, and I think Donald Trump would love to go, especially if the Patriots win, and take as much credit for them winning as possible. Uh, that being said, I think Belichick will get word to... We'll get word to Donald Trump via his boy, John Bon Jovi, that, hey, listen, Bill doesn't want any distractions. So unless we win, you can fly in and Marine One in the helicopter on the 50 and give, you know, give, give a stone cold stunner to Roger Goodell. Maybe tell Roger Goodell, he, you're fired. If the only the, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be like the new it'll be like the new millionaire matchup versus Donald Trump versus Vince McMahon. Now it'll be Donald Trump versus Roger Bell. Correct. The only way again, and I've done a lot tonight, as people will hear later, to to to, to you know pretty much separate myself from Donald Trump. But if <laughs> if Donald Trump finds a way to to you know stone cold stun either literally or figuratively Roger Goodell, it's going to get him a point back. I'm not saying he's going to win in my in my heart, but he's going to get a point back. Because JBJ, John Lovejoy, did it for Hillary, so he's like, you know what? I'm oh. gonna do a mannequin challenge with the Pats. Tell you what, if the Pats, if you can get, if the Patriots win a fifth Super Bowl, they can do whatever they want, including a mannequin challenge, which which this show is very much against. We all know this. All right, Doug, I will catch you soon. Stick around for a second, but thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Okay, folks. Next up comes my brother. Uh, I interviewed him first, so I say he's first up, but my brother Alex is now second after my cousin Doug. Just a double disclaimer here. Like he did in our uh, in his first appearance on the show, uh, which was during our Best Frontman Ever Contest Volume 2 edition with both Roscoe P. and Cindy Harrington, uh, my brother once again celebrates one of his favorite four-letter words. So if you've got some children in the car or whatever, wherever you listen to this, you may want to skip ahead on the aviator's piece uh, or, you know, tell your kids, earmuff it. Anyway, here comes my brother, Alex. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, first up, he is back after his starring role in Volume 2 of our Best Frontman Ever contest. My brother, the aviator, Alex Viano. How are you, my man? A lot of weighted hiatus. I'm doing well again. Nice to uh, be talking with you. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you definitely made an impression on the, the, uh, the Freestyle Family Podcast censors uh, with the pro- with prolific... <laughs> prolific work uh during that show but you know i was taking a real risk tonight because i said to you and uh, a couple other folks who were going to be on i said hey um we got a little little win or lose patriots podcast tonight and 
I'm, I'm starting off with you, which means we're starting out hot. So the Pats won. They looked good. How are you feeling in general? Let's start with that. Correct. They were flawless. Eric Rowe, Eric Rowe tonight. I mean, that, that dude earned his stripes. I would say he absolutely by far had his uh, best game as Pat. But like, uh, I would say offensively, you know, you could make the argument that the Pats were um, wasting wasting plays, wasting downs. Uh, okay. But but regardless, they you know I mean like they're playing like I don't ever see Mike Tomlin or Big Ben. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I mean, I, what I would say is, if you are, if you're a team that always plays the zone, and the Achilles heel of your the Achilles heel of your zone is an All Pro quarterback, then why would you keep running it running it against Tom Brady in the playoffs? And and the, the result now is three and three and zero versus the Patriots all time in the Tom Brady era. So done and done. Um, all right, let me ask you a few questions because as I mentioned. Kind of in my, my rambling before I called you and my kind of like setup. Yeah. Uh, it's a mega cast, so so got a quick, some quick hitters here. But let me ask you this: how co- how confident were you before the game started the Patriots would win? Oh, completely confident. And that's not huh. like a uh, when I say that that is not your kind of generic Patriot kind of like. Uh, there, as you know, you grew up in, you know, in Boston. Like, there's this kind of Picture fan who has no real clue of sure. what's going on. Like, yeah, actually knows last, right? Like, like they don't understand the actual game. Okay. And uh, I would say, if I were looking at it from somebody who kind of does understand that to a degree, I felt like Pats on paper should win the match. They should win the game. Sorry, I'm coming from Washington Arsenal today. So yeah, a little soccer, a little soccer trick. They, they, they should win. They should. They should win this. Yeah, sure. Uh, on paper, very easy. Now it's a question of like how you, you know, make that come. Yeah, and they, they obviously executed. So I, I guess I guess my answer then. So you were one hundred percent confident going oh in God. into the game. Okay, now I've never I've never felt like uh, anybody who who was on the Steelers, including the head coach, who was a head, he was a he was a, he was a fucking coordinator for a year. <laughs> Correct. He, well, he's he, not. He's a rah rah system ball guy. He is not. He's a Jeff Fisher guy. He's, he's not like he's, he's not a Bill Belichick. I am an intellectual. Like he, he, to me, I was not worried about them from like a, uh, a game plan standpoint. Preparation, preparation oh. standpoint. All right. Well, let me ask you this though. So you play you play one half of football, and it's seventeen to nine Patriots. Were you more? I mean, I guess you couldn't be more confident because obviously you're already one hundred percent confident. But, no, but like, where, where, where was your confidence level when it was seventeen to nine? Now, Al. You still, you still, you still felt really good about it. Uh, it, it to me, it's it's a Patriots narrative. I've seen this. I've seen this narrative so many times now. Like, okay. Uh, the Pats come. The Pats score first. Yep. They they either so you saw like the what was the the Malcolm like Mitchell uh, drop. Correct. On the first possession. Yep. You see that, and that's that's the difference between seven and three. Of course, uh, they get three. Instead of seven, but like they still score. Yeah, the 
Yeah. And once the Pats do that, I mean... Yeah, I they've got you a little uh, bit. Absolutely. They start to control the narrative. And then once... I mean, the defense played pretty well against one of the better offenses. Yeah. I mean, like, as far as playoff, playoff-wise... Really well. Yeah, I thought they did a good job doubling, doubling, doubling Brown, and they were fortuitous, and that Bell got hurt, and that it just became a less of a thing to worry about. Uh, but they they certainly had a great game plan. All right, let's go over to the to the fact that we had the odd couple, Rob Gronkowski and John Bon Jovi, and what I believe was maybe Donnie Wahlberg. Um, but but I want to concentrate I want to concentrate on Gronk and, and Bon Jovi anyway in in Bob in Bob Kraft's box. So well, my, go ahead. What do you got? Yeah, first of all, The biggest star out of what we believe was Donnie Wahlberg, Gronk, and JBJ. I mean, I think the answer, the answer, the answer in the football world is Gronk. I think the answer all, in, in all time is John Bon Jovi. I mean, we know, we know from we we, we know from the greatest frontman in Boston. Yes, I didn't say in Boston. I thought you said in the world. No, no, in Boston. Oh, in Boston, Gronk's the biggest star. Absolutely, Gronk. Gronk. No question. Donnie Wahlberg certainly isn't. Sorry, Donnie. I mean, you're selling off Fenway Park this summer, but... Donnie Wahlberg is the pride. The pride of Dorchester. That's, that's fair. All right, but let me ask you this. And I'll actually let you throw Donnie Wahlberg into this mix. I wasn't planning on this. But who do you think has the best stories from... I'm just going to use the phrase groupies. Uh, Gronk, sure. John Bon Jovi, or Donnie Wahlberg? Who's got the best stories from, like, Tales from the Crypt, if you will? Yeah, that's like some serious, like literally to quote ben, uh, Vince Vaughn from old school, that's some serious boy band A for Donnie Wahlberg. Gronk's getting, you know, tight end of the Patriots, superstar, you know, whatever. And John Bon Jovi, I mean, my man was had a record called Slippery Than Wet in 1987, so we know he knows how to party. No, and Gav, to be completely objective with you, I don't think that Gronk factors in, in this situation at all. Do you said no shot? Okay. Let's let's be let's be honest, all right? Like John Bon Jovi in the fucking nineteen eighties, <laughs> Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. <laughs> Aviator is back <laughs> Come on. Come Ladies on, and man. gentlemen, the family podcast guy, has been lifted. <laughs> there is probably no comparison. Well what I love about this what I love about this, Alex, is that you Gave John Bon Jovi a lot of crap uh, for being in the best frontman tournament, but you're but but you're giving him his due. You're giving him his due in this particular situation. He deserves his due, right? You know what? It's called being objective. And you know what? I like it. Maybe somebody from the Melania slash Donald J. Trump factory, <laughs> okay, could take a fucking look at being objective. Well, well, you know, we're gonna cover that in the latter part of the podcast, but I like that. Um, sorry, sorry. No, you're fine. You're doing great. I just my my point is I. Uh, I promised some people in the pre-show that if they wanted to hear anything about the Million Lady March, it was going to be later in the show. That's all. Um, okay. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How confident are you now? Now you know that the Pats are going to play the Falcons in the Super Bowl. How are you feeling about that? Oh, to be honest, not that, not that confident. You feel unco- non-confident and unconfident. No, I'm, I'm not saying I'm... Less confident than you were with the Piss Dealers. Let me try it. Oh, oh I feel... Confident in the way they put the Steelers, they definitely put. You know, I would say uh, defensively, 
Yep. I saw something from the past tonight that I hope to see from them again against, against sorry, the Falcons. And Matt Ryan has never played in the Super Bowl. He's never played in an AFC, or sorry, in an NFC Championship until tonight, right? Uh, I believe he played in 2012, but they actually blew a lead to the, to the oh, Niners. That's right. But they lost to the Niners and they blew a big lead. So your point is well taken, which is which is they choked in their first they choked in their first go round in the yeah, NFC conference. Probably why I forgot about it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Right. But anyway, uh, I I gotta say, just looking at the nature of playoffs and how they're structured. Yep. I would say. Tom Brady's got a huge, and obviously Belichick and the whole crew have a huge benefit of that. There's a history there. They, to me, are a. They've done it before. Seasoned. Yeah, they've done, they've done it before. And it's a big deal. It's a lot of hype. The Super Bowl is a lot more hype than any other game they'll ever play. I think it's bigger than most people think. Correct. Now, all right, let's let's flip the script though. What and I'm sure there's plenty, but and I know a lot of it's probably on the offensive side of the ball. But what scares you or worries you most about what the Falcons can bring to the table? Oh Jesus! Well, you're dead on the uh, offensive side of the ball. I mean, they uh, I, like, I mean, he ups uh, Matty Ryan. Like Jesus, yeah, Boston College Eagle to fucking. Yeah. He'll probably be the MVP. I would say he'd be hoping the MVP of the NFL this year, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he had a heck of a year, and he has uh, got a heck of a heck yeah, of a absolutely. heck of a crew, absolutely. heck of a supporting cast. And, like, he's got such a good like overall supporting cast, and like obviously Julio Jones, you got to give him a lot of credit. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's fucking amazing. Of course. Uh, but like, the entire supporting cast he has is awesome. Yeah, you know, I got a fun stat for you, Al, and you might have heard this too sure, during sure. the during the game, but. I believe what I heard was the Falcons' offensive line is the only offensive line in the NFL that, that the same five guys played every snap this year. That's no, no way. That's what I heard. That's what I heard today. I thought I heard from Joe Buck and our boy Troy Aikman. So my point is, even if it's not 100% true, you've got great receivers, two great running backs, a very competent quarterback, even more than competent, and then you've got a very continuous offensive line, which is the most important thing about offensive lines is that they – get right. to play together, and they get better as time goes on, kind of like a fun wine, my friend. Um, all right, dude. Well, that's that's, that's definitely... I, I can't believe that that's actually... That's a fact. That's, that... Wow. It could be fake news, but I think it's real. Anyway, um, and let me ask you this. Um, yes. Were... What... <laughs> Let's say the Patriots are able to pull off the win in Super Bowl 51, okay? Mm. On a scale of one to seven zillion, how awkward slash awesome will the Robert Goodell, Bob Kraft uh, exchange be? And do you think Bill Belichick will give a stone cold stunner to Robert Goodell on the stage? So, yeah, sure. That's... uh... That's, I think, the question everyone wants an answer to. And uh, I think Belichick is a, uh, he's an NFL guy, so he will never... 
Stone Cold stun anybody? An, an adversary. Like he'll never be the contrarian or the adversary towards the NFL. But right. uh, I do think that uh, Robert Kraft, as much as he, I mean, he is the NFL, and like nobody's going to really you know, yeah. give him credit for that. But yeah. He really is. From an advertising standpoint, he is the NFL. I think you may give uh, Tom Brady the opportunity to receive the Vince Lombardi trophy. From none other than Robert Goodell. Is close. Uh, I know his name, but okay. I'm trying not to speak it. That's fair. Okay. Well, we well, that's good. Well, well, I'll tell you what. I I like that your your confidence was there. I think it's it's good. I I like uh your, where your thoughts are, and I'm actually really excited that we could do a Patriots AFC Championship edition of this versus the other because. On a scale of one to ten, how irate would you have been if I was calling you right now after a loss? Would you? I would be obviously I'd be irate. Yeah. But to be honest, like Gaff, let me ask you a question. Did you really see the Pats in a potential losing situation tonight? Like, well, my only, my only, my only issue was. Would something freaky happen on the turnovers or special teams? And it didn't. Well, of course, and that always is right. But but to me, I always wonder about that first. So anyway, that was the only thing. But I thought that if we, if the game was played as it was tonight, and ironically there was zero penalties in the first half by either team and zero turnovers, if both teams, if both teams just gave their all, and it was a relatively evenly officiated game, which it certainly was in the first half because it was zero penalties again and zero turnovers. The Patriots would be at least a, at least a little better, if not a lot better. And the case was exactly that in the first half, and exactly that in the second half. Uh, Steelers started turning the ball over. The Patriots separated themselves even further. That's kind of what Big Ben usually does, and it's not what Tom Brady usually does. And so it played out that way. But Wait, in the playoffs, I'm always what, worried. What is, what is not what he usually does? No, Tom Brady does not usually turn the ball over. And unfortunately, last week because of tips, he did. And Ben Roethlisberger does usually turn the ball over at least twice a game. So um, that is, that is if it went to plan, the Patriots were going to have at least two more possessions and they should prevail. But I was certainly worried after the Texans game that sometimes you can get Brady off his game. The only good thing I felt about it was because the Houston Texans already did it, the Pats would be wide awake, and they were. So that was right, great. Right, right. All right, cool. Al, stick around for a second. I'm going to – uh, stop this particular part of the pod because we're going to probably go to our cousin Doug Brown next. But uh, stick around for a minute. And uh, thanks again for being on the freestyle, my man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. You got it. Okay, finally, bringing up the rear because he's three hours behind us. And luckily for him, it's only 8.41 Pacific time. It's our buddy from Man Cook Good, Jeremy Johnson. Jeremy, how are you, buddy? I'm great, Gavin. How are you doing? Fantastic. And as I told you on the brief pre-show, we are uh, pumped for you and your wife, Chloe. You guys are having an expected family member joining you very, you know, in the next year, here or less. And we're really pumped for you guys. So congratulations. I appreciate that. We are um, we're really, really excited. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's our first baby. And we're just trying to enjoy it. You know, just it will be, it will be our third freestyle baby. Uh, Andy Maslin and Kennedy Sullivan, both of uh you know, cross the parent pundit threshold, and we're excited for you to do the same. Uh, if you decide to make a turn towards like being a prophet or something, this is 
base, you know, your first generation coming. And um, we could grow like Mormons, you know, the filibuster freestyle pundits. We could just continue to expand and grow, and your whole audience is built in with people's right, uh, cousin. Exactly. I was going to say, if we can't get, you know, you know, non-fans to, to tune in, we can just make more fans. <laughs> right. Like, create more people to listen yeah. to the filibuster. Freestyle podcast available on iTunes. iTunes, SoundCloud, filibusterfreestyle.com, you know, all of it. You know, and to download cool things of food, like from you at Man Cook Good and your food blog, which is phenomenal as well. I think uh, uh, um, congratulations is in order, and it's like just barely um, below the impending birth of my daughter, is you got your own Twitter handle for Filibuster Freestyle. Now, there's an official Twitter handle uh, That's right. for Filibuster Freestyle. That's right. It's at... FB underscore freestyle because filibuster freestyle is unfortunately a couple too many letters long. So at FB underscore freestyle. Uh, our buddy Andrew Patterson is doing a lot of the management of that, but we're excited to delegate that to him because, uh, frankly, running at Gavin Viano and running in, in the third person, Gavin Viano's life, uh, was more than enough for me to handle. More than enough for me to handle. So we're excited. Running a media empire. <laughs> It's a small empire. You know, it's like Liechtenstein or or San Marino. Yeah, exactly. Have you thought about building a wall? I'll tell you what. I've actually built a a fort because it's a very really small empire. But if the empire gets bigger, you know I'm building that wall. And and I'm not going to pay for it. Uh, When you have a baby on the way, you start thinking about all these things that are related to being a parent and having a child that you're now responsible for. Sure. And just the other day, I thought, oh, man, I get to make forts again. So That's pretty cool. That's pretty worthwhile there. You Absolutely. Right. All right, well, JJ, let's get into this Patriots game. Speaking about things that make us feel young again, because uh, when the Patriots came of age back in 2001 in terms of being coming Super Bowl champions, you and I were just about kind of putting the finishing touches on college. Uh, I recall doing jumping jacks on Florence Street with not very many clothes on. I remember Roscoe P. spearing me onto the pavement for no reason whatsoever, uh, aside from that the Pats were world champs. Here we are 15, 16 years later. The Patriots are going to their seventh Super Bowl under Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, how confident were you going into the game they were going to win tonight? Reasonably confident, but um, just anxious because it's a big, you know, it's a big game. You know, the stakes are really high. They could lose. Absolutely. There's a lot of ways to lose, and uh, they could have lost, and they didn't. But I was, I was pretty confident. We always play the Steelers pretty, um, pretty well, and... Um, you know, Roethlisberger's record on the road this year uh, wasn't very good. Yep. I kind of felt like, um, you know, I feel like with almost anybody, if the Patriots execute their game plan, even like, you know, 70% of it, then the game's going to be exactly like tonight's was. Kind of a war of attrition that by, by the end the Patriots make a couple more plays. Yeah. Uh, like you just you watch it and like you know the Patriots go down they get three and then they score a touchdown and you know Steelers have an injury and then you know next you know the Steelers score but then the Patriots score and the Steelers don't a couple times and the Patriots do again and next you know you look up and you're like oh my god it's a thirty to nine you know like <laughs> this game's getting and the clock's getting short and then you start watching and you see it all the time and you see the other teams start to press. And they start running without the ball, and they start throwing it, like, you know, with a little bit of frustration and for challenging plays that should not be challenged, obviously, um, in Tomlin's case. And, and then the game's over, and you're shaking hands, and the Patriots are moving on. You know, there are ways to stop them from forcing their will on you, but there's not many, and not everybody has the right personnel 
or mindset to do it. Correct. And you go back to the mindset piece, right? I think, and again, this has been said a million times over, but now the Patriots, especially under, you know, Bilicek and Brady, uh, 3-0 all time, which is kind of funny in the playoffs because you think they would have played more, but they have not. But the point I'm trying to make is the Steelers, even under Bill Cowher, were running the same zone defense, which is great. Dick LeBeau, legend of the game. But the problem is we have an all-timer quarterback who can look off zones You've got to have a plan B, and the Steelers are too stubborn to ever have a plan B that they can actually stick to, and they've actually practiced, and it actually works. And that stuff might fly against Joe Flacco and Andy Dalton and whoever the Browns are playing at quarterback this week twice a year each. But the Patriots, when all all cylinders are firing, they're going to score 30-plus on you, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Brady threw the ball to like nine guys. Correct. Well, Chris Hogan, you know, my notes – like, it wasn't exciting. It was like, you know, like, there's a play where, like, you know, Edelman gets the ball and, like, you know, Brady's moving around. And, like, I noticed right before the snap that uh, uh, a linebacker, an outside linebacker, is lined up on Edelman. And I'm like, oh, boy. You know exactly what's going to happen. And he throws it to Edelman. Edelman gets quick in the feet and he's got the ball and now he's in the open field. And that's just the Patriots being the Patriots. And if you can't get pressure on Brady with your defensive line only – then you're in a lot of trouble because then they started blitzing and they started overcommitting because they're you know they gotta be in their headsets like man we gotta do something we gotta get on these guys right throwing he's carving us up we gotta change what we're doing and they changed what they're doing they just didn't change it to the right thing and who knows if they could even execute the right thing right well they just didn't have the personnel like you said I mean the the, the funny thing about the, the Houston Texans last week was they could through some creative blitz packages go five-on-five five or four-on-five or four five with the offensive lineman and actually get to Brady. And that's the only way to stop these guys. You know, it's the only way to stop these guys. Um, the Seahawks are a good example. They can get after the passer, but they, they've got really um, – they've got a lot of length and height in their secondary. Yeah. And their safeties are really punishing guys. And they can cover a lot of different types of mismatches. They can cover the most dangerous mismatches where you suddenly have Rob Gronkowski being covered by like a defensive lineman on the sideline or something. Yep. Like, the Seahawks can adjust to those kind of matchup issues more than a lot of other teams, and they've got this like squirrely quarterback who can run all over the place. I think the Seahawks can beat the Patriots, you know, five times out of ten without anybody being surprised. Correct. Pro- um, problem is they can't beat any. They can't beat a lot of teams in their own conference. Well, I think they've got a problem with their um, their energy level as a, as a team. I know we're not on Seahawks radio here. But <laughs> Thank God. I mean, they're gamers, man. Those guys can beat anybody any week. I think that they, you know, they're, they're in a loose environment, and I think that they don't have the discipline that it takes to thrive in the regular season. You know, the Patriots continue to win these big playoff games, but they, you know, they stay focused through the regular season. You know, and they get that first, you know, first round uh, by and or the number one over, an overall seed, and so they're playing in Foxborough. Right. Uh, you know, they're they're making it through seasons without losing focus and losing to teams that they should be. Repeatedly, and you know that's why the Seahawks had to play a tougher matchup in the beginning than the Patriots did because the Patriots had a better regular season. Right, they locked it up, and they locked it up with three different quarterbacks. You know, you got to win in the regular season, and then you got to play a completely different game, same sport but different game, and win in the playoffs. Right. Let me ask you this: uh, you you happen to have started a Facebook group called, I believe, the American Football Chat Page of America or something fun like that. 
yeah, um, yeah. And you know, being being in California, especially, you are going to see a lot of people who are either transplants or from California or both, and they all like different teams. And of course, we've got some guys who. 49ers fans, and I'm just going to kill them right now, living in the past, talking about their boy wearing Skechers, Joe Cool, Joe Montana being the best ever. We've covered this, and I don't really want to get into it either, but here's the thing. Joe Montana went to four Super Bowls. He won four. He lost a ton of playoff games besides that and, and didn't even get to the conference championship. Brady's been to six straight AFC championships. I think he's now won seven overall, three or so in the last six. Yeah. Uh, my point is... He's starting his seventh Super Bowl, which is now two more than anybody else has ever started. He's got a chance to win a fifth, which would even even at five and two, if it happens, he has more wins than anybody. He's got more appearances than anybody. What does this appearance and hopefully a win do for the argument against the 49ers faithful? Oh, my God. I mean, all you got to do is point at the number of rings. It's like... Every record that falls at this point in his career with the stats that he's compiled and the record that that team has compiled, every week he's like in the mix on some all-time conversation just on the stats argument. Yep. And, you know, it will only the only thing that it will do is leave them with the, the Joe never lost a Super Bowl. And then we say, well, he had Jesus and Cleats, Jerry Rice himself, and no free agency. And, by the way, when they did have free agency – I know Joe wasn't on the team then anymore, but they were perfectly willing to fudge it and like lie and pay guys who, you know, correct at the table basically. Which so we know would get the Patriots loss of a draft pick the at least. Thing dissolves because nobody can have a conversation anymore without being accused of being a homer or your opinion doesn't matter, you know. And I, I would argue that there's a way to be a homer, but then there's a way to have a more knowledgeable opinion about your. It's essentially your beat. Like, yeah, I know a lot about the Patriots. I follow them weekly, you know, I'm pretty much daily. Right. So, yeah, I know a lot more about them than you do. I would ask you what your opinion is on the, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars. If you lived in Jacksonville, Jacksonville and you're a diehard Jaguar fan, you know, it's not about being a homer, but you can't have that conversation with most people anymore because you're on the Internet and it's a waste of time. <laughs> Good point. Um, all right, let me ask you this. Going into the Falcons Super Bowl here, okay, what uh, what worries you the most about the Falcons? How confident are you about the Patriots' ability to game plan a championship? Uh, well, let me ask you this. Like, who would you have rather played, the, um, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and their, like, injured team or the Atlanta Hawks and Matt Ryan, who might still be a choking dog, but we don't know. Correct. So I think you just hit my answer, which is, uh, at some point, a complete football team was going to expose the Packers for being very reliant on heroics at all times in order to win a football game. And the NFC North, completely flawed division, especially when Matthew Stafford got hurt and was playing hurt. And Riddick, Theo Riddick got hurt, who was on my fantasy team. And if he stayed healthy, I'd be the friggin' champion, not Dan Ruddle. But anyway, uh, that's okay. My point is... <laughs> um, you know, once the Lions fell apart, the Packers didn't have to play any real teams in their division. They got a uh, completely inept offense in the Giants and obviously a, a not well-disciplined defense. They got Hail married in the first half. Incomplete team. They lost in Lambeau figures. Uh, Cowboys were a completely well, – not surprised at all that Jason Garrett's team was not prepared to play for the first 33 minutes of a 60-minute game. Not surprised that, unfortunately, Dak Prescott was the beneficiary of inferior coaching. Uh, and still, it took everything in Aaron Rodgers' gun. 
the Falcons did to the Packers today what I think the Patriots would have done to the Packers in two weeks, which is a complete, a more complete team over 60 minutes would expose them and ruin them as long as Roger, Robert, Roger Goodell didn't throw the game Vince McMahon style as he would have to hand the trophy. Uh, that being said, the right team won today in the Falcons. They are scary as heck, but you alluded to a brother, which was this is their first go-round, and that doesn't mean they can't win. It doesn't make the Patriots any more of a favorite than they already are. But I remember the last time the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. They were playing the Broncos, who had won the year before. One team's all-pro safety uh, was out doing extracurriculars the night before and made it, a, made it a big thing, and the Broncos rolled. Now, my point is, going to the Super Bowl for the first time in a long time or the first time ever, different set of problems than going back for, the, for, the, for some of these guys the third time in seven years or for, certainly for Brady the seventh time in 15. Um, I don't think the Pats will beat themselves in the Super Bowl. If they stay healthy, I feel like they'll find a way. But they have not faced a team as good as the Falcons all year, period. I've got two takes on that. One, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I could argue certain points of it, but um, I agree with that. My concern, my, the original point on the Packers and the Falcons and my initial like feeling going into it is the Patriots can only be beaten at this point by either a complete machine team that can just go out there and just run their system successfully and, you know, and then have the ball last or, you know, grind the Patriots um, out of a possession or two. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, Aaron Rodgers can go off at any moment and be, like, the best quarterback that's ever played a game of football ever for any one game. Or he can go out there and get frustrated and, you know, throw at people's feet and try to throw his receivers open and, you know, get dragged in a kind of messy game. But a one-game season, I don't want to face um, Rodgers. I'd rather face the Falcons, which to me are like the, you know, the slightly more NFL blitzy version of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Okay, okay. I like it. What's the big difference between Matt Ryan and uh, Ben Roethlisberger? What's the big difference between the Atlanta Falcons running game with both of their running backs and the um, Pittsburgh Steelers quality of running back, even though they have different styles, you know? What's the difference between Antonio Brown and Julio Jones? And how much difference is there? Is there? You know, they're kind of like transferring into like a, a crossover game where some of the same techniques that they use to beat the Steelers, they can use to shut down the, um, they the can use to shut down Falcons' offense. And I think that the Patriots' defense will never get the credit that it deserves because of Leonard Belichick. They whiffed on Brady, but they've been fantastic. And, you know, everybody knows the fact that they gave up at least amount points this season. But they held the Steelers to, like, nine points for most of that game. Right, exactly. They're fantastic. They hit them hard. They hit them legally. They they got in people's faces. They put their hands on people. You know, they, they played up to the edge of the five yards and sometimes a little more. Yep. They were physical. They were smart. You know, they didn't get any stupid penalties. They didn't fumble any opportunities. And... They just like that was like the ultimate Patriots win, and you know, like other than the anxiety when I'm like, man, this game it's still a little close. I wish that we had a bigger lead right now. It was so businesslike. It was like go in, punch the clock, put on your hard hat, grab your thermos, go play some Patriots football for sixty minutes, and then let's go and have a snack and go to the Super Bowl. Thermos time. It was just it was like all right, well here we go. Let's go to work, boys. Let's do our thing. Everyone knows the plan. You guys all yeah. on the same page. Let's go. Yeah. Fake move band. You to this. Let's move and change this. Do that. You're up by 30 points. You know? Yeah, exactly. Fake band name of the, of the week. Therm- thermos time. I've never been like this. Like it's kind of an anticlimactic like AFC Championship. We've been we've lived in this like paradigm where you know like 
the Patriots go to the Super Bowl and AFC Championship like every year. Like we're 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 playing ghosts at this point. You know, like I, I'm 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 rooting for the Patriots not so much to win this particular game, but I'm rooting for them to like really pile on and be the best franchise that football has ever seen, and for Tom Brady to be the best quarterback that has ever played the game. Right. Which is I'm a nice not, place to be, considering. It's not about the Steelers. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. It's a nice matchup, though. I, I do like that it's uh, it's not a team we've already played. I like that it's not the Seahawks because I agree with you. They are gamers, and if they had made their way to this, they'd be ready. Uh, oh, yeah. I totally agree. With you. Scare the Patriots. Totally agree with your Rogers take. Totally agree with your Rogers take, and I agree that you're, that Rogers would have been in a one-game season incredibly difficult to potentially contain. Uh, I like that it's a team we haven't played before, and, and uh, frankly, I, I wanted the, the, the Giants, the Packers, and the Seahawks out of the mix, yep. and, they, and they are, and that means you have to get somebody, and that somebody is the Falcons, so so be it. That's what I wanted, and you know, maybe, it's, maybe we'll find out that this is the beginning of the Falcons' reign, and Matt Ryan's like, you know, abilities are about to level up, but up until now, he's been kind of a choke artist in playoffs. Right. You know, if they're not used to playing in muddy, crappy games, you know, the Patriots have won all kinds of different games this season. And Brady and Belichick have won, you know, like every damn kind of game you can win or lose. They've been in it. Right. And I think that matters. You know, you get into situations that, you know, Bill's like, oh, it's this kind of game where, you know, the guy get injured and we fumbled the snap and we did this, but we're down by 12, but we have the ball yep. at the second half. Like, he's already got it all slotted up, you know? Absolutely. And that, and that, you know, that, and that's that's the beauty of having the continuity at, at the coaching position, especially, but also at the quarterback position. Is you're not starting from scratch; you're just building upon what has already been successful. The data points and yeah. the, the institutional knowledge is off the charts. All right, let's switch gears a little bit, really quickly. You've been in LA for a long time now, and you just went from zero zero franchises to two franchises in LA. Um, let's just say you were not a passionate Patriots fan. Who are you rolling the dice on to emerge as LA's number one team? And who are you rolling the dice on and that they will be an abject second banana? I think the Chargers will win more. I don't know, man. They're both kind of second banana franchises. I know. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And the Rams have some juice here. It's not much, but they do have a little bit of juice. There are some kids that grew up watching the Rams, their dad, and, you know, there's been a lot of hate for the Chargers over the years because of the Raiders connection and because of the, you know, regional rivalry between San Diego and LA. Um, so maybe they'll be hard, it'll be, they'll be less likely to accept them, but I think that if they're winning games, then that'll be the ultimate decider. Whoever wins the most will win over the fans. I mean, this is going to take a long time. Nobody gives a crap, Gavin. Nobody right. cares. But that's why I just don't understand why we why we added a second team. You know, like I just don't. Be playing a thousand seat stadium. Did you know that? Yeah, thirty thousand seats. Right, exactly. Thirty thousand seats for an NFL. Right, that's smaller than Fenway Park. That's smaller than Fenway Park by a lot. Are you? I've been in the Home Depot Center. It is like, I mean, you can barely fit a Dave Matthews Band concert in there. I mean. And like it's like it's not a big venue. They're gonna play like real football games there. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's really it's it's a very inauspicious start. Well, that's 
Very interesting. All right, last question related to football. You watched the game tonight. You probably saw that Gronk and John Bon Jovi and who I believe was Donnie Wahlberg were all together in Robert Kraft's box. I've asked this of everybody tonight. Who has done the best in like the outlandish groupie stories of those three guys? New Kids on the Block, Hall of Famer, Donnie Wahlberg, the ostensibly always married this entire time, John Bon Jovi or Gronk Money? Who's like the ultimate stick man out of those three? Exactly. Well said. I think that, um, man, I, I bet you that uh, Wahlberg has had a good run. But I got, you know, I'm going to go with um, Gronk. Maybe I'm underestimating the power of the rock star. Yeah. I don't know. Always like relationship status. Not that that matters with people at a lot of these levels. But I go with Gronk because, like, you know, we're, we're having a similar age group and, you know, like I can, I see what he's up to and, you know, with the use of technology now and the ability to connect with people, yeah. celebrity, famous in, you know, movies for all ages or famous in movies for, you know, for grownups, you can just access, access these people like back and forth, and, yep. you know, meet up and live your famous fit, young, rich life together. True story. And, FaceTime. It's going down in the DMs. Who would you rather be about their careers? You think about those guys, which one would you rather, which career would you have rather had when it came to, you know, being with a lot of different women? Well, just in general with a career. Would you the Wahlberg arc? Is nah. it the block boy band thing? Nah, man. I think I'm going John Bon I think I'm going John Bon Jovi all the way. I mean, because Gronk's, Gronk's had his knee busted open like 6,000 times. His back hurts. I mean, like... I'm good. I'm going John Bon Jovi. I'm doing direct TV commercials when I'm 60. You know, like, their career arc with like members of the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever they're into. Well, know, hey, like, you know, I mean, it's... Yeah. Would you rather have the rock star thing or would you rather have the, the athlete thing where you're basically like a god for 10 years if you're lucky and then you, you know, change? I would imagine I would take longevity over like a 10-year round, but that's me. Uh, right. All right, well, what's really funny is we're going to go from this very misogynistic conversation to the fact that I'm going to hit stop and we'll restart. But we're going to segue into the uh, Women's March in L.A. yesterday because you win. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for that. But, J.J., thanks. It's always for talking past with us. Uh, and we'll catch up on the flip side of this uh, recording. Okay, so, again, we are going to segue to a completely different topic, as I just alluded to with Jeremy Johnson of Man Cook Good. We're bringing on brand-new pundit Bridget Hanahan-Brown. Uh, she is the wife of my cousin Doug, as I've mentioned already on the pod, but also she um, went to the, the Women's March in Boston. So we are completely switching gears. If the Women's March is something that you're excited about, you are in the right place. If it is something that you are not excited about, that is fine. Hope you enjoyed the football talk. Either way, fair warning, here we go. Uh, not going to lie, uh, next two pundits are pretty liberal, and they definitely pulled out a lot of my liberalism as well. Um, you know, we're just having fun on the freestyle, but you know, sometimes we got to talk about the issues. So, uh, enjoy if you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, no problem. Leave us a note on filibuster freestyles webpage or on our Facebook page or on our SoundCloud, make a comment, leave a review on our, uh, iTunes account, whatever you want to do. Hit me up on Twitter at Gavin Viano, hit the show up on Twitter at FB underscore freestyle, like it, don't like it, but we, uh, we want to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, after the football talk, we got to talk about the Women's March, the Women's March on Washington, or what the filibuster freestyle is affectionately calling uh, the P-word power march. And on the phone, I have somebody who went to it, 
My cousin Doug, you all know him and love him. It's his wife, the artist formerly known as Bridget Hanahan. Bridget Brown, welcome to The Freestyle. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to get you on. And I know that you are social media presence conscious. People, you can follow her at Yellowfent, right? It's like an elephant, but with a yellowfent. I love it. It's good stuff. Exactly. Follow Bridget. You can hear her musings. See pictures from her large mileage runs, and etc. But... Most of my cat. And your cat, Taco and Things. Taco the cat. We love Taco on the freestyle. Filibuster freestyle cat approved. Uh, speaking of cats and euphemisms for the word cat and things like that, um, you went to the march in Boston yesterday, which is a part of kind of the, the women's march movement. Uh, first of all, just hot takes, overall impressions. How, why'd you go? How'd you feel? Anything you want to share? Hot take was, well, what a day of like total empowerment and just like soul cleansing, which is what I needed after the past few months. Mm-hmm. Um, the day was awesome. It was totally like, it went with like relatively low expectations. Granted, I've been um, politically active, I'd say for a number of years, but I haven't been to a good old protest since like, you know, the days of George, George W.S. Correct. Good so times. My, my first <laughs> one in a long time. Yep. Nice. Um, so being out there with like a bunch of like-minded people was just—it was awesome. It was—it was just a good time. And would you say we were just talking on the very brief pre-show that that night we were joking about? You know, you kind of gave me a little bit of license to say it was the P-word power march. You know, tongue in cheek because I respect what happened. But um, you mentioned that the, that word was utilized a lot on signage yesterday. Any any fun ones that stick out to you or anything like that? So my favorite, and this is my favorite of all time for a number of reasons, many levels, but I will say there was this group of older ladies slash, it was just like generations and a couple dudes who were like in their 30s and grandmothers, like I just, you know, like you make up stories for people, so it was like a couple dudes and like their grandmothers and their mothers and their little sisters just like all together and they each were carrying one letter each mm-hmm. and on, and it just said, Keyword power. Yep. And it was huge. It was like, if you went to this march yesterday in Boston, you saw them. And then on the front of it was uh, a different levels, different um, Trump faces that we all know and hate. Um, <laughs> and dictator spelled on the front. Uh-huh. Exclamation point. With a, with a K? Or uh, no? Yeah. Yep. That was my favorite. See how I figured that out already? Um, nice. I actually saw a sign, my buddy Mike Serra from Build a Machine, the band, one of his friends who's a woman, posted a sign of a, of, a, of, a, of a feline, a cat, with laser beams, rainbow laser beams coming out of its eyes, and it said, this P word bites. And I'm like, and has the superpower of rainbow-powered lasers. Like, that's an understatement, so but know. sweet sign, sweet sign, love yeah. it. So... All right. So many cats out there, so many, you know what I, I feel like, I, I, and you go out there and it's like the most creative, like you feel like people just like put their minds together and put all their creativity into this one specific thing. So many times it was like, oh, I wish I thought of that. Oh, I wish I thought of that. Oh my God. I've had that Beyonce song in my head for like 13 months. How did I not that? No question. And, I, and I'm sure Beyonce was cited often and early yesterday. She had to have been. Uh, of course. So now let me ask you some serious questions because, or like, you know, serious as we get on the freestyle, but like, for instance, and this is, again, I'm 
I'm coming from a good place here, but like where a couple questions related to where was this mobilization and energy during October and November in your mind? So I don't know because it was certainly there for me yeah. and for my like-minded friends and the people that I saw yesterday, I would assume for them too, just judging, you know, coming in cold on their level of passion yesterday. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they say that what, how many million women voted for Trump, which I still can't quite get my mind around. Right. But we had millions yesterday. Is that not as many as voted for Trump? I have a hard time believing that, but who knows? Right, right. I think it was there. I have to believe that it was there, and we just got outnumbered somehow. Do you th- so do you think maybe there were people, and I'm not saying the women who showed up yesterday, because clearly they felt strongly enough to come out yesterday, too, and they probably voted, but... Do you think more fringe people were a bit too confident that Hillary would prevail based on how ridiculous Donald's entire persona and campaign was? Or was there a complacency that people were like, ah, I'll sit it out, it'll be fine, and we got kind of screwed on that, or what? I mean, this is me coming from what my husband always tells me is my Northeast bubble all the time. So like, <laughs> I would say no, because, again, everyone that I talk to, my Facebook feed, my Twitter feed, like, I'm flooded with like-minded people. Yeah, right. So to me, and again, which was like part of the shock of November, and why I was thrown into such a, like a, a tailspin into the dark abyss of like Dante's Inferno, <laughs> was I didn't see this coming at all. But still voted in New England. Like my vote for president doesn't matter. Like of course it's going to be Hillary. It's always going to be Democrat. But I still went out there and was friggin' psyched. And you know my friends in Pennsylvania, the swing state that ultimately went to Trump. They were all out there with the full confidence that I had, too. So, I have no, like, still, I can't. I'm still grasping. Yeah, I mean, I had a buddy. I had a buddy. It's actually, you know, a friend of the show, Dan Ruddle, who's, you know, he's pretty upfront about being a Democrat. But he literally texted me that morning. He was like, you know, we got we got Pennsylvania on lockdown. You guys can take care of North Carolina. And I, and I happen to live in a place where I don't live in a bubble. Um... <laughs> You know, like, Charlotte's a bubble, but North Carolina is not the bubble that I, you know, live in politically. So I was like, dude, we do definitely not have North Carolina stone up for you, girl. Not in a bad way. I just can't. Too close to call. And the fact was that people were taking it really, really for granted, I think, in Wisconsin and, and, and Pennsylvania especially. And for those for that firewall to break down. So I'm, that's my point. I was asking, like... Clearly, there were more people, I think, that went out yesterday than there were to go to the inauguration the day before. And I know that one was in one place and one was in many places. But still, for that many folks to mobilize on day one, like, that means it was there. And I wonder why it wasn't there on November 7th. Yeah. I mean, even in D.C., there were twice as many people there easily yesterday right. as there were on Friday. Right. So, so that, that, that part just kind of boggles my mind a little. So, all right. Do you think, you know, and again, I'm not, I, don't, I hate to put the the – psyche of women in general on one woman, but I want to talk about the longevity of the energy from yesterday. Can women band together like they did yesterday to drive the result of the 2018 midterm elections? How are you thinking about that? I think so, because women are stubborn as hell. Like, oh, yeah. now, like, okay, here's a couple of other of my signs. They're my favorite signs of yesterday. We're like super, and this is like, talking on the heartstrings all day were these super old ladies with these signs that were like, one, can't believe I still have to protest this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and two, one that was just, you know, others that were just like, 
I got off my couch. Like, I'm, I'm 90 years old, and I'm pissed off. And now I'm out here. I dragged my butt to Boston. Right. Like, you had to get me. Yeah, you woke the dragon. Like, I have nothing better to do in my life, and I like it that way, but I'm coming out for this. Exactly. So I think the dragon has been awoken for women around the world. And, I mean, I'm I'm just speaking from my own perspective, but, like, the fire is lit. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So I, and I think others are, too. And, like, judging from what the scene yesterday, oh, man. People are fired up. Yeah, I'm just hoping it's a, good. Good. I'm just hoping it's a slow enough burn that it gets us to 2018. And I will say this, and I'm gonna couple couple things I want to share with you, and I'll let you, you know, get onto your slumber. It is late on a Sunday night, but in my mind, the only way to beat small-minded voters, and essentially, you know, I'm not a Tea Party fan. Period. Uh, to beat the Tea Party is to to find a way to get Congress back. Um, so essentially. People need to think globally, as many of the folks who were out yesterday always do, but they really have to come follow through on acting locally, and that is local politics. And liberals have a nasty habit of being less focused during midterm elections, local elections, but the problem is two-thirds of Congress gets elected during midterm elections. So I'm starting with the man in the mirror on this one. I've only voted in one midterm election in my life, and starting this year, I'm going to vote every time. And I'm going to start voting in local elections. And if people can do that, we're only 22 months away from being able to change things if we want to change things. And again, I'm not over-the-top have-to-vote liberal, but I'm also over-the-top Donald Trump. I just don't like him as a person, regardless of the office. And he's got to go, in my mind, because I don't like him as a person or what he stands for. He's a disgrace as a human, let alone anything else above human. Correct, correct. Subtweet, subhuman, hashtag, <laughs> it's getting real. Hashtag. Hashtag uh, interim president. That's what I'm going with. But anyway, um, all right. Did you happen to catch any of his Aziz and Sorry Saturday Night Live hot take last night? I did. Well, I watched the opening monologue. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay. So I love that his main point was that the the closet racists who have now flung open the closet because they think Trump winning is a license to be openly racist are actually really. Lowercase KKK. Yeah, lowercase KKK, exactly. Let me make an outlandish theory here. They're actually jamming things up for their own side by doing that, in addition to being reprehensible. Um, but like the majority of the country is not going to be convinced to become racist now. We've moved on. Uh, so self-defeating prophecy. Number two, Trump got elected because of how many never Hillary people existed combined with apparently lowercase KKK closet racists, right? So the next time he's not going to face Hillary and the non-racist Trump voters are going to run away screaming from the, the now openly racist base of voters. So they're literally undermining their own little sick fantasy by like, oh, he's elected. I get to be racist again. No, you don't, as Aziz and Zari said. And not only do you not get to, but if you do, you're only helping us beat you. You know, how do you feel about that or any hot takes on that? I totally agree. hundred percent. And like my whole take on that is also so they talk a lot about or like people people smarter than me when I say they yeah are talking about this, the backlash of the Obama legacy so like things that we as our you know elitist New England whatever did not see yes was the backlash wherever when a black man became the president of the United States people lost their minds apparently. right right and so Trump is a direct result of that. Like the Tea Party rose, people freaked out about their gun rights. People freaked out about 
everything. And so Trump is a direct result, you know, not, you know, indirect result, I should say, of a black man becoming president of the United States. So while we were celebrating, people were upset. Whoever else was, yeah, losing their minds. So in the same way that that Obama was a catalyst for some people, Trump, I think, is going to be a catalyst for everyone else who may have been a little sleepy. I mean, like, there is that old, the, the whole um, stereotype of Democrats is that, you know, they kind of roll over. The ones in Congress and the ones in the Senate, they roll over because we march and we protest, but we don't get dirty like they do. Right. I think people are ready to play a little dirty now. And people are angry for the first time, like, really, really angry, which kind of feels good a little bit. Like, I like being angry. I'm going to yell. I'll throw some things around. But right. I think it's kind of like the old hat. Like, people are ready to, to put this old hat down. And like you said, with the midterms, with the local elections, we're going to vote in some new blood in the same way that the Republicans voted in these Tea Party guys. Right. And we're really going to, like, mess things up. We're going to, like, start this whole, like, counter swing. So we swung one way with Bush. We swung another way with Obama. We swung drastically right. with Trump. I think we're going to have just as drastic of a swing back in 2020 and and all the elections in between then. And right. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, let me hit you with this, actually. This is an outlandish theory, too. What if all presidents couldn't run for a second term? Like, Because to your point, right, you just brought up this whole idea of the when George W. Bush got elected uh, – you know, with Al Gore, he ran as a very moderate Republican. And then over an eight-year period, stuff just went real right, real, real right. And then obviously, like to your point, the response to that was going incredibly, you know, first black president, completely liberal president, complete swing the other way. And then obviously in eight years, we got, you know, Mitt Romney was running four years ago, and now we have a complete caricature of the Republican Party running and winning this year. So, or last year in 2016. So if it was a four-year term only for the leader of the free world, do you think we'd have less of these dramatic swings and get more crap done? Probably. Well, less of a dramatic swing, probably, but more crap done? I don't know because nothing gets done in four years. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. so much infighting and it's so fair. much like across the aisle fighting yeah. in Congress and in the Senate that they just like railroad each other. So like maybe nothing would get done then. That's fair. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, let's do this. I know you know we gotta we gotta keep it moving here in the mega cast. But I want to hit you with three of my six kind of weird, outlandish ideas uh, that need to probably happen in the next four to eight years. Can I hit you with a couple of them? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, John Stewart clearly stepped away from the from the game of commentating on politics at the exact wrong time. Uh, John Stewart needs a weekly show on HBO, if only dedicated to just following around the Trump White House. How do you feel about that? Oh, when you asked earlier, like, things that would rile Trump, a 24-hour or a weekly Trump show, how, how better can you get with that? Right, especially when it's John Stewart, who... game. Right. Yeah. And John Stewart has skewered everybody. He skewered Obama, like... He skewered everybody. Like, if you if you deserve to be skewered, you get skewered. But, I mean, the fact that he's not been front and center on this much, at least not on a daily basis, such a missed opportunity. And it, next, if Jon Stewart signs on for that show, I think he should coax the members of the former band Rage Against the Machine to reunite and become his house band. How do you feel about that? Perfect. Here's another theory, speaking of Rage Against the Machine. We are going to have such a backlash of good Rage Against the Machine-esque music coming from this administration. Yes, yes. That it's like the 90s all over again. 
Completely. Hopefully the flannel comes really back because I, I love flannel. Um, finally, related to all this, if Zach De La Rocha, the old lead singer of Rage, won't do it, I think Bruce Springsteen should because he plays with guitar player Tom Morello anyway. And just for me, it would really tick off Roscoe P of Drilling Three is because of how much he hates Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I fully support that. Fully, fully supported. All right. Do you have any any uh, ideas on how you can agitate who is now your nemesis or or, or no? I think Baldwin should just get his own show. Baldwin, nice. Said, like, so, like, we, we, you can have the John Stewart news hour, and then you just have Baldwin, like, impersonating whatever Trump did that week. Right. You know, there's going to be something every week that's definitely a full hour's worth of show. Yeah. And just have Baldwin do it in Baldwin's way. Trump would lose his mind. He would literally explode. Yeah, you, you know what would be funny is, you know, the real Trump is, is the master of fake news, and maybe the fake Trump played by Baldwin can actually give us real spin, you know, like real news. Not, uh, what did they, what did Kelly and Conway call it this week? Oh, uh, alternative facts. Alternative facts, yeah. That's the oxymoron. The alternative the, fact hour with, with Alec Baldwin. Pheno- phenomenal stuff. I like it. Well, Bridget, listen, we appreciate you being on the show. Sorry it's taking you so long to get on, but uh, we'll have to come back. I think there's going to be plenty to talk about in many different arenas, but certainly in this arena for the next two to four years. So, uh, love to have you back. Glad you went to the march. Glad it was uh, an uplifting experience, and hopefully, people are awake and now stay awake for the better part of the next two years instead of uh, crawling back into their Netflix and not giving a crap, which is how we got in this mess in the first place. Sure, that. Doug says I'm not allowed to say woke because I'm not a youth. <laughs> Keep it woke, right now. Keep it woke, baby. All right, Bridget. We'll talk to you later. Have a good night. All right. See you, Gav. Bye. Okay. And as promised, uh, we had Bridget Brown, Bridget Hanahan Brown on talking about the Women's March in Boston, which she gave me license to call the P-Word Power March. And now somebody with not P-Word Power directly, but who was there and celebrating it, once again, JJ, Jeremy Johnson. Uh, Jeremy, how were things yesterday in L.A. at the Women's March? It was really an amazing um, event. Uh you know, like I never declared my intent to go there really verbally. Um, I didn't make plans to meet anyone down there. I was just going to kind of roll with the punches and see how the day went and then see if there was any, any like violence or any unrest or anything before I like worked my way over there. Yeah. So I ended up um, kind of waiting out surge pricing because the trains were overloaded and getting a good price down there on my own. My wife was coming back from a road trip uh, with a friend of hers and she wasn't able to attend and I just... I just jumped in a car and went down there and um, it was it was amazing. It was like, you know, it was three quarters of a million people. I think it was the biggest march in the United States. Wow. Um, yes. It, it's that, that massive humanity is a really powerful, um, beautiful thing. And as I jumped out of the car, I, I jumped out on, on an off ramp to the 101 freeway because I was like, this isn't moving. I'm out of here. You know, like I'll just walk up the highway to the, <laughs> the street sure matriculate into the crowd you know so as i'm crossing the bridge um i really you know the bridges over the 101 there's several of them it's like every uh every other street there's a bridge going over it for surface streets and i realized that all of these bridges all up and down for as far as i can see are throngs of protesters on the bridges like waving signs at the cars going underneath them and everyone in the car is just beeping their horns at them and it just, it really like caught me. Like I got a lump in my throat, you know, the, the, in the city, you spend so much time in a, in your car and right. you spend so much 
time doing things in your little area because like it's a pain in the butt to get anywhere, you know, when there's any traffic or anything. And so you, right. you find your neighborhood and hang in there and, and you know, you, when you interact with other LA citizens, you don't do it walking down the street. You do it from the car when you're like, you know, frustrated with them or vice versa. You know? <laughs> right, and, right. And here you are like, you know, a bunch of three quarters of a million people who were not, they were not activists. I mean, they were not hippies. They were not. They were people who would rather be at brunch. Right. You know, these are people who time out of their Saturday. People have to work their butt off to thrive in this city because it's expensive as hell, and the gentrification is like going to the roof or competing against the world to live here. Yep. And these people only get a little bit of time to themselves, and everybody kind of individually, collectively, was like, you know what? I want to go down there because I'm mad as hell, and I want to be a part of this, and I'm tired of liking crap on Facebook and sharing and reading other people's things and looking at bleeping memes. I want to go down there and be there, just be a part of this, and be like, I'm mad as hell, man. This is not cool. Like, this aggression will not stand. (laughs) In typical L.A. fashion, it's like, you know, it was a massive crowd, and most people were there for a couple hours, and then they went and got lunch, took a picture of it, put it on Instagram, and then they jumped an Uber and went home, because this is still L.A., like, nobody's, like, turning cars over, like, they're like, oh, man, I gotta gotta work tomorrow, you know, like, (laughs) it it was, like, the most peaceful experience, there were zero arrests, everybody was super mellow, the streets were packed, there was a tangible energy in the crowd, but most people were just down there, just being there, you know? Yeah. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know, like, let's walk through the protests. I've missed the march, I was there just for the gathering and you know went on forever i mean it's three quarters of a million people gavin do you think about that that mass of humans and yeah. one person was arrested that's like yeah that's, it was that's probably, infinitesimal like, right it was a little more maybe two to one woman maybe three to one really there's there was a lot of families down there with strollers and babies strapped to their chests and like yeah I mean, this is like oh baby beyond beautiful event you like step on someone's foot because you're so close to the call i'm sorry like oh don't worry about it you know like yeah everybody's in a good mood yeah. i didn't see you two play i heard you two was down there i didn't get any of that i just went down to city hall and i walked around and you know yelled a couple things and you know and you just walk around and we just sat there and just watched for a while and just kind of felt the power of uh you know assembly and then we, you know, had lunch and got an Uber and went home. No, it's not bad. Let me so let me ask you this, then. You, you kind of articulated it well, but here we are 21 and a half months away from midterm elections. Here we are probably within five months of local municipal elections, and that is where the Tea Party lives. The Tea Party lives in local elections, in state elections, and in midterm elections. Two-thirds of Congress people get elected during midterm elections, just the way it works. They get – third of them get elected every two years. So my point is – are these people from all over the country and all the world, not so much in our electorate, but are they going to stick with us for the next 21 months? Are we going to get this thing? And by we, I mean those who aren't happy with the result, uh, you know, are they going to stay with this thing? Or are we going to burn this thing out fast and say, that was that cool that time we did that thing? Like, like the whole 1% thing with, uh, you know, the 99% wall street protest that basically winter came and it was over. And now Robert Barron is still Robert Barron. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, it's easier to pressure uh, public employees like uh, politicians who who depend on you know winning re-election even in their extremely gerrymandered districts for yeah. some of them yeah um, than it is to change uh, an economic system of capitalism. Correct. Which is really our biggest. Problem. Correct. And, you know, I 
I don't know, Gavin. I don't know the answer to that, but I saw something today where somebody was like, and this is somebody that got retweeted, and they had a blue check mark, and I don't know what their deal is, but they said, next protest, tax day. Let's go demand his tax returns, and everybody flood every IRS, you know, building on tax day, or, you know, Saturday after tax day. Right. Uh, you know, and that's the next protest. So instead of doing it, like, every month, you, like, pick events, and you just, like, throng, and, like, people will come. Yeah, but sure. If you try and do it a week or two, a standing or something, man, like, we'll all go under. We're all working our asses off just to keep ourselves afloat. Correct. How am I supposed to take time off from work to go yell at City Hall, Los Angeles, which is filled with liberals anyway? Right. Like, do you think that Trump really gives a damn about Los Angeles? Like, he's like, man, nah, whatever. He lost here, like, eight and a half to one. You know, like, there's a reason why there were 750,000 people here. You know, it's like, nobody voted for him here. And the few that did, they barely even like want to admit it. You know, they're like in corners, like giggling and like, you know, just being idiots. Like, right. it's not, this is not a place like it's going to, you know, uh, cheer for anything from the right at all. But this is just especially egregious, you know? Well, I like, but, the, I like the idea of picking other dates and time and not saying, oh, this is a monthly meeting. Cause like, you're right. That's the best way to fizzle yeah. it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. All right. Let me ask you this. Do you have any outlandish or fun little ways that you'd like to, like, uh, you know, attempt to agitate either the president or, like, those of his rather thin-skinned supporters over the next four to eight years, hopefully four years? Because I got a couple. I don't think he makes two years, Gavin. I think he's impeached by the Republicans as soon as he outlives his usefulness to them. And they get Pence, who's a real, like, Tea Party, Christian Taliban Republican. Right, which is actually, which actually scary. I mean, Trump scary is going to be a footnote unless he's actually able to pull off, like, a, a fascist takeover of the United States. Like, if he's actually able to pull off some white nationalist platform, then we're in a completely different world. But I bet you the Republican, you know, the Congress will be like, see you, dude. We never liked you anyway. Thanks for all the tax cuts, privatizing everything, dissolving everything. And now and we can... Exactly now you're an embarrassment and you're unreliable. We don't trust you and we're just going to kick you out. Gotcha. That's my view on that. They want Pence, man. Pence is their guy. He's like state sponsoring electric shock therapy for you know, homosexuals and gay conversion therapy. Like Indiana taxpayer dollars paid for that. Yeah, no. It's, this guy is right up their alley. Trump is a wild card. He's right. a distraction. All right. So you're, yeah. So, I mean, I'm actually though. I'm not seriously worried about this, like a nationalization of like a white, you know, kind of a white supremacy platform. I'm not, because I, I, I think that there's, even though there's apparently a lot more closet racists than I had thought, say, three months ago, still out there, I don't think that they're going to start multiplying and converging other people who already have moved past that and, and, and maybe have never thought that way. But like, I, I don't see Donald, I don't see Donald going, going, he'll never go peacefully. I don't think he'll go peacefully if he serves two terms and it's eight years from yesterday. I don't think he'll go peacefully then. I think, I think he is a absolute wild card to your point. And I am, I'm conspiracy theory, but I, 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 the reason I want to make sure that the apathy doesn't come back is because I, this person is absolutely capable of attempting to become a fascist dictator. And if nobody stops it, I mean, that crap has happened before in the last hundred years. Oh, yeah. To really industrialized countries. We're not better than the Germans. We just have the benefit of learning from the Germans. Which doesn't mean anything because people don't learn. Like is state-sponsored, Gavin. They want people to be idiots. Right. Well, it's a lot easier to pull things up. They have high education levels. 
they're blue. Look at the states that have like poor education. Right. They're red. This is simple. This is a long game. It's about the money, man. It's all about the money. It's about the power and the money. Not to go Scarface, but I'm walking through that march and I'm alternately going from being completely cynical to completely nearly overwhelmed with like just like the catharsis of the experience. And I'm looking around, I'm like, none of this crap matters. This isn't about your reproductive rights. This isn't about black lives. This isn't about, um, you know, marijuana. This isn't about any of the things that come out for a liberal march. You know, this isn't about any of that. Like, this could have been Lilith Fair at times. You know what I mean? Like, this is about money. It's about the bleeping money. It's about capitalism. It's about money. And I like capitalism. I like the hand of the market. I like the free market. I like how easy it is in theory to start a business as a small businessman in this country. But I, and I believe in the market, but it is out of control. And if you want to get a conspiracy theory, I think maybe some of these industrialists are like the, the horse is out of the barn on global warming. I don't think, you know, they, they're betting on, they're cynical, they're betting on humanity not having what it takes to pull themselves out of this, and they're like, let's get all the money and resources that we can right now, and then when things get overwhelming, we'll start hiring private security, and we'll build our own private walls, and we'll live like, you know, feudal lords. Well, basically, like, not only that, but like uh, that the new Mad Max reboot, like some guy controls all the water, he controls all the everything. And yeah, it's the guy that runs Nestle. They're right. just going around the world buying a private Right, and we, and we let them do it by letting them bond, privatize. It's a bond plot, and Nestle start doing it. They're like, oh, that's a really good idea. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Whatever we learn in real life usually comes from movie villains. Like, if they're trying it in the movies 30 years later, someone's trying it in real life and succeeding. Um, right. All right, man, anything else on that front for you from yesterday? It sounds like it was a hell of an experience, and I'm glad you could share it with it's us. It's a beautiful experience, and it was therapy. You know, it's therapy to do it, and um, I'd recommend it. You know, and um, I, I hope that it continues, and I hope that uh, leaders grow with this. And you know, I wish that I was younger and I had more time because I would make time to participate in this more. But as it is right now, like I'm, you know, I participate in my workplace and I participate out in the world, and you know, I'm ready to go to another march or something just to go out there and just to like shake my fist at everybody. And if I've got to, you know, if I've got to get arrested or something, like screw it, you know. I look at that John Lewis guy that Trump went after, and um, you know you're looking at pictures of him standing next to Martin Luther King. Like those were not loved men then by most of the community. You know, right. he got arrested 35. He got a skull cracked. He got dragged through the streets. Like, right. And now he's just, you know, like, or he's a representative. You know, like that guy. That guy went out and did it. You know, it be what it takes. And that's when we find out if this movement has any teeth. If we're willing to go out there and be inconvenienced and be potentially hurt. You know, um, just to be peaceful and stand there and say, no, I'm not, I'm not participating in this, you know? Yeah. There are people out of control, man. I think that with the, you know, the facts, the, you know, alternate version of the facts or something like, what what are they talking about? It's like somebody wrote a script for them to be like the absolute worst possible about every single topic like the first thing they did was cut like the first time homeowner you know interest rate cut and then like they're like we're gonna privatize NPR and you know PBS and you're like wait what like all the like not cutting the National Endowment for the Arts they're gonna do this for everything they're gonna hit every single category of social life and like a thousand different things at the same time and while they're doing it and everybody's freaking out about that they're gonna take all the money and they're gonna deregulate everything right and that's the whole Man, it's all about the money. 
Right. Well, the problem is that that was basically where we were a hundred years ago in terms of everything being privatized. And, um, well, a couple things. One, philanthropy was still a real thing back then, which is great, you know. Um, but it's unfortunate that philanthropy will have to drive all cultural things. Uh, but, you, un- you know, 20 years after that. Uneven life. <clears throat> right. That but, life but, but, that most of the world enjoys. You have people that have nothing. You have people that have a little bit. You have people that have a lot. And most people have nothing. And they just kind of, like, kick around and then they, like, cut their toe and they die. You know, like. That's that. Right. Well, the good news is at least at least the march was uplifting. And, you know, frankly, if they deregulate everything, we're going to get another housing bubble. We're going to – we're already approaching a car buying bubble. Uh, and, and well, well, my point is we're going to have another Great Depression because at this time, instead of an outgoing George Bush being forced to bail out the banks because those are the only people that he wants to bail out and then Obama coming in and bailing out – everybody else in a good way with the, the auto industry and everything else. This time it's going to be people who don't want to do that and they're going to deregulate it and the sky will fall. And, uh, that's unfortunate, but you know what? We're still going to have our podcast. <laughs> well, there's nowhere to put it. Um, all right, buddy, I'm going to get you out of here on that. Thanks for being on talking some football, talking some women's March, talking some politics. Everybody can check Jeremy out at Jeremy Speaks on Twitter and uh, Man Cook Good is a food blog. He's on the Instagram and the Instagram is popping. Dude, what were those like? What'd you make in your little uh, super pot thing? Give us that real quick. The super pot? No, the instant pot. Instant pot. The, uh, I've stumbled into a world that I've, it's like a Alice in Wonderland thing. Like the instant pot, it's a, it's a slow cooker, a pressure cooker. A rice cooker, you can make yogurt in it, you can sous vide. I don't know if you're sous vide is, but that's like a huge thing right now. Like, you know, home cooking and restaurants and everything. And I start reading about it and I'm like, oh my God, there's so much out here. Just like, just learning this, it's like learning an instrument. Right. So you're killing it. Yes, I made, I made carnita, carnitas in pork shoulder. And a pork shoulder is like a really tough piece of meat. Very cheap. And it's how you get pulled pork and everything, but it takes forever to cook. Yeah. I threw it into the Instant Pot yesterday, the pressure cooker. I put it on, a, I seared it in a cast iron thing and put it in the pressure cooker. I made pulled pork carnitas in one hour. Whew. Okay, six pounds of it. It took an hour. It looks so good, dude. It looks so good on your Instagram feed. It was incredible. I was yeah. so hungry for carnitas. Yeah, you are. You don't even know it, but you are. No, I love carnitas, man. And, I, and I, the Instant Pot sounds like a jam, so... Check Jeremy's workout at Man Cook Good. He'll make you very hungry. Uh, Philibusterfreestyle.com. Hit us up, everybody. Patriot Super Bowl, Women's March. It's going to be a hell of a January into a February. JJ, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Okay, Gav. Philibuster Freestyle. That's the end of the podcast, folks. Follow us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. If you made it through that one, you'll make it through any of them, baby. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Share us.